the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your co-host Greg Young and uh, happy to be joined by Adam Strangham. And uh, in case you were wondering, uh, we're doing a little bit of role reversal. It's the uh, summer and so I'm going to do a little bit of uh, practice hosting a little here and uh, we're going to see how it goes. So Adam, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I mean, it feels nice to be on the uh, other side of that proverbial table, you know, uh, let you do the heavy lifting today. Yeah, no, yeah, kidding. yeah. I got to come up with all the come up with all the questions and try to herd you along a you know an enthralling discussion of Washington Capitals hockey. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's dive in here a little bit. Um, so the big news, um, really, pretty much the only Capitals news of the last month or so has been uh, some unfortunate news around Evgeny Kuznetsov. He has been suspended by the uh, IIHF for four years following a positive test for cocaine. And uh, so, you know, at least for me, it seems, again, it's worth reiterating that this will not be, Kuznetsov isn't suspended by the NHL. The NHL actually has a somewhat progressive policy around this kind of stuff. Um, He is, cocaine is considered a drug of uh, abuse and not of performance. So Kuznetsov has already agreed to voluntarily... uh, undergo treatment and uh so yeah um adam what do you kind of think of this kuznetsov situation you know it's re- it's just really unfortunate i think the the part that uh kind of stings the most is just that that uh picture or video that came out earlier in the summer and then we went through the whole thing of oh he didn't use it he was just in a place where that stuff was going on and then of course it comes out that he tested positive so it's um i, I think that's really the part that kind of sticks with me a bit and you know, my second thought was also, uh, you know, kind of thinking back to his season last year and how his numbers were down. And um, but but that, that that's just kind of where my mind went when it first came out. And obviously, you know, hoping he gets the help he needs. Uh, addiction is a disease, and I hope he can kind of put it all back together. He's a very talented athlete, and the Capitals need him to be a top performer in order for the team to be successful. So. Um, a little disappointed that he kind of we went through that whole song and dance to end up where we did but um those are those are really my thoughts on it what about you yeah no i mean i'm i'm completely completely agree with you you know the video it, it was weird or the the picture it was weird you didn't exactly know what you were seeing and you know all you could really kind of see was lines on a table and you know i i think we were all kind of inclined to you know believe because that's off when he first issued the vi- pretty vigorous denial and then the cap saying they investigated it you know Really, at least, you know, at the time, I thought, I was like, all right, this is something we could kind of move on from, you know, being just a weird picture, you know. But now it's, now that it's kind of come to light, you know, it's, it is disappointing. And you do really hope that Kuznetsov kind of gets the treatment that he needs. Um, It's also, I think, worth talking that the, there's been a lot of speculation just NHL-wide that uh, cocaine, you know, use is on the rise. Um, You know, I mean, you have a lot of, you know, kids in their, you know, mid-20s who now have a lot of money, and, you know, cocaine is kind of, uh, you're not surprised when any one person gets caught with it, unfortunately, you know, and so, again, you know, you really just hope that Kuznetsov can kind of get the treatment that he needs, and, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of, uh, you know, what the Capitals, uh, it seems like the fans have had 
a somewhat reasonable reaction, although I don't kind of, you know, I haven't, I haven't been keeping up with it as much as I would like because I've been on vacation. But, uh, you know, it seems like the fans have been somewhat reasonable about it, you know. But, Adam, I guess I'm kind of curious, like, you know, if it comes out and Kuznetsov, you know, struggles a little bit, do you think there's going to be, you know, the same kind of fan patience that there was last year when Kuznetsov was kind of inconsistent? Or do you think that he's kind of under the eight ball a little bit more this year? You know, it's going to be tough. I don't know, like, from, like, a fan base pressure perspective i mean he's always going to be kind of the guy who you know led the team in points on their stanley cup run right so um you know he he still did that for the team no matter what and um i got to imagine the scrutiny would be a little bit higher right um just because people i mean the speculation would definitely run rampant especially outside of washington right i mean the uh, Canadian media, I'm sure, would be all over Kuznetsov if his performance is down. That it it's something relative to, you know, maybe he's still struggling with his addiction or something like that. So uh, it's it's certainly going to be a. Um, I'm not sure if in Washington the pressure will be really ramped up, but I definitely feel like it will be kind of around the league. Yeah, and I you know I think it's I think it's interesting because you look at kind of Kuznetsov's. Uh, you know, legacy is that I think, you know, going into going into last year, he was seen kind of throughout the NHL as being, you know, a top top 10, top 20 quality, you know, center. And it seemed like he took a step back from it this year. You know, I think it's it, it's tough to say, you know, uh, oh, you know, there was, was he still dealing with a cocaine problem then or not? You know, because not I think is always had consistency issues um, pretty much aside from the playoffs. And so, you know, I think it'll be kind of, interesting you know a lot of the kind of normal ups and downs might get more scrutiny particularly from the canadian media uh for reasons that you know as i think jp and you have said kind of ad nauseum are not always the most fair reasons you know you look at you know canadian players can be just as inconsistent and uh, up and down as russian players and uh other european players so i think it's there's definitely a lot of bias going in and a lot of bias could continue to creep in through the canadian media so you know i think it'll be It'll be interesting to see, you know, how Kuznetsov handles it. Um, we've already seen, uh, sure, you're kind of with me on this. It's good to see that, in general, when the Caps players have been interviewed about this, you know, it seems like it's been, you know, pretty supportive of Kuznetsov. And so, you know, you hope that kind of given the, you know, player support that he's able to kind of have a turnaround next year, both in terms of being a little more consistent, but also just in terms of, you know, being healthy and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just... It's it's going to be hard for him as a player to kind of just 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 put it all back together and um, kind of get that you know you know get those inconsistency labels behind him. I mean you're right. I mean there are players all around the league of you know varying talent, skill levels, or, or nationalities that that struggle with this perceive or perception of consistency. But I mean Kuznetsov's defensive game was garbage last year. Oh, I mean we know awful. that. So yeah. I mean he, he's really he does have to improve. I mean, he just has, kind of guess has to get back to being the guy he was in the playoffs, or at least close to that, right? Um, you know, a driver of offense who, um, you know, is, is not a, a huge enough liability defensively that, you know, his offensive upside is worth it. I mean, even if you're the best player in the world on offense, if, if basically the other team's on a power play the whole time, not saying he was that bad or anything, it's uh, oh, well, probably not going to net out though. that well. You know, yeah, he, he was bad. He, I he think wasn't he gave that up, bad. It but. was like more. I think he gave up the highest percent of like high danger chances among forwards in the entire NHL, and so that's you, you, that just can't happen next year. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
but we'll yeah. see. Um, but so aside from Kuznetsov, um, their players have started to come back. Uh, you can start to feel it in the air a little bit. It's been actually unseasonably reasonable in DC for uh, late August. Uh, it's, I was actually reading outside today. It was tremendously pleasant, but you could start to feel a little bit, you know, it's getting a little colder. Players are starting to uh, return back to DC. And uh, some of the other exciting news has been um, that it looks like uh, TJ Oshi from the kind of reports around uh, training camp is probably back to pretty close to a hundred percent. You know, a collarbone break is something that, players recover from um and also importantly it seems like Kepney is uh you know starting to ramp back up and might be uh ready to start the year so you know it seems like those are two big players to kind of have back in the fold uh if you you know Adam what are your kind of thoughts about you know the importance of it to the Capitals to have a healthy Kepney and Oshi? You know, I think I think Kempney's was such an important linchpin for the team right I mean we kind of saw what happened last year once he went out um you know the team defense just kind of deteriorated as a whole I mean I think we talked kind of at length the last time we recorded about how um, you know that injury when he, when he suffered that injury in that Tampa game it was just um, kind of the beginning of the end of the realistic chances I mean the team was kind of ramping up playing some of their best hockey of the year and then of course um, company goes down and, and and you know they play Carolina and history is history um, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be important because I'm not really sure they've got a ton of um, faith in all the young guys. I mean, Siegenthaler, I think they has a great chance to really be, uh, um, you know, he's fighting for a spot, right? I mean, I don't know where you have him, but I think he's he's pretty close to kind of a... Yeah, somewhere in that 6th, 7th, D kind of range. Yeah, you know? exactly yeah. right. Exactly. So if Kempty's not in, is, is it Siegenthaler that's going to get those reps and... Um, I, I maybe maybe he'll do just fine, but I don't see any of the other young players and, as being ready to go. Um, but then again, I'm not as like well read on the Capitals' prospects as I would have been a couple years ago. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I definitely interested in what happens that's, there. Uh, working uh, yeah. behind the scenes, uh, he's been really killing it <laughs> in terms of the content. But uh, yeah, I think he's uh, you know, but I know he's high on Siegenthaler too, and. Uh, I think it, I mean, see, it's going to be interesting. You know, I mean, the Caps do have the kind of defensive depth that, you know, they lack kind of in the forward angle. Um, so that'll be, you know, I think it'll be important to see, you know, we, and we're going to see some of that depth. But, I mean, I agree with you, and I think I talked about this a lot the last couple of podcasts, that the Capitals never were able to really get their defensive rotations 100% solid after Kepney went down because – he seemed like the perfect partner for Carlson. And after that, they really struggled. You know, they tried three or four different players with Carlson. They tried playing Carlson on his offside, which didn't seem to work terribly well. And so, yeah, you know, it definitely, it seems like uh, having Katney back and if he's 100% or even just is able to play, you know, that's going to be kind of huge in terms of solidifying. And, you know, the good thing for the Capitals is that you know, it's a long season, and so if Kepney maybe isn't 100%, they, there's going to be some room, particularly kind of, you know, in the middle of the year, or well, early in the year, to kind of make sure that Kepney is, uh, you know, getting kind of back in the swing of things. So they have, you know, they can kind of, they have the luxury of time to make sure that he's, you know, kind of consistent and, uh, you know, giving him kind of the room to breathe to become a, you know, back go, get back up to kind of NHL speed and everything. Yeah, I mean they're definitely going to have a hopefully a little bit of breathing room there. And um, you asked about Oshi as well. I they mean, did. 
there's definitely going to be some like Oshi is just hurt a lot, right? I mean, it's always something. Uh, this time, you know, it wasn't wasn't the head, right? So that's good. He, collarbone, so yeah. uh, super painful injury. But I mean, I, I feel like bones generally heal all right. So it's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's better than a torn hamstring. Like I mean, imagine Oshi having that injury when he's already obviously slower than he was, you know, a few years ago. And so yeah, it uh, collarbone definitely something that is very, very painful, and I've had friends who break them and say it's no fun, but, you know, it's probably a little more of a definite recovery than, you know, a, the torn hamstring. Yeah, if you're gonna, if, if, if an athlete's going to get hinger, injured and it's, you know, you don't want it to be one of those, you know, your femur or anything like that, but uh, it de- definitely could have gone worse. I mean, I, I'm, I'm concerned about companies. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah. it looked real bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm more concerned about Kempney's mobility than I'm concerned about um, kind of what we see from Oshi. I mean, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I'm trying to think like what sort of movements would be impaired for Oshi, but you know, those guys have such great medical staffs and the Capitals have, have one of the best. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully it will all work out really well. And, um, you know, the Capitals will have that kind of lush lineup that we've been talking about for the last couple months. And, um, you know, we'll see whether Oshie's either a prime upside guy in the third line or whether he's still getting second pair of minutes, but, um, yeah. you know, only time will tell. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting to kind of see, uh, I would imagine in spring trading too, for kind of the first time, you know, we'll get to see where some of the new guys fit up in the lineup. I, I know that pretty much everyone has panic being a third line player. And, uh, I mean, I think that's kind of where my instincts stay. He's going to go too, but, uh, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see, um, how, you know, Reardon and McClellan to a certain extent, see where they're going to fit in the lineup. And so I think that'll be one of the really exciting things to see kind of as training camp starts. Is there anything else that you're going to be kind of looking for and anything, you know, to kind of give Caps guidance about things you're going to be looking for in training camp, look, kind of looking at the reports and everything like that? Um, I mean, I, I guess the Capitals don't have a ton of open forward spots, but I'm, what I'm most, most interested going to see is how the Capitals um, kind of young players look in camp. I don't, I don't think there's really a ton of competition kind of um, in forwards 1 through 12. So, it, but it, I, I want to see kind of what that outlook's going to look like coming forward here. Um, like we're, we're we're both blessed and cursed as Caps fans. It was the team having a very consistent lineup over the last few years. It's part of the reason they've been so good. Um, but they're they're not going to kind of have that injection of youth. Um, but a, as we both know, the draft this year, the Capitals kind of mixed it up and actually actually did look at forwards in the early rounds. So none of these guys yeah, are sticking around. Yeah, the first two picks were forwards. Yeah. That exactly I totally right. know a lot about both of them, right? To- totally know <laughs> a lot about both of them, of course, of course. But yeah. in all seriousness, it will be interesting to see what a first-round forward draft pick looks like after going so long without having one on the kind of uh, on the team. If I recall correctly, Jacob Vrana is the last Capitals uh, forward to have been drafted in the first round. So. Yeah, I think um, that's right. And uh, he, he turned out pretty good. <laughs> like, that was a good pick for the Caps. Particularly given, I think he was, like, in, like, the, the late teens, early 20s, right? So uh, Around was it? 13th, oh, I 13? think. It was, oh, okay. It, it was an early Capitals. It was their earliest pick. I was actually at the draft in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it was, was one of their— Was it didn't make the playoffs? Was this the Oats year? Yes, you're exactly right. It was ah. the Oats year. So that was the—it the, uh, was the earliest the Capitals had picked in a long time. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Well, it worked out. So at least uh, you know you're gonna stink. At least get a get a good player. And so at least they did that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, so that's that's definitely interesting. Um, the other thing that um, I'm gonna be kind of curious about, you know, in terms of the training camp is kind of seeing you know how some of the other teams in the metro look uh we you know have talked a little bit about what some of the other teams in the metro did this uh this offseason but uh you know i i would think that you know i just talked earlier about how you know the caps have a little bit of breathing room in you know the first couple of months but you know it seems like the the division's gotten a lot better this year so i don't know about you but i'm going to be for the first time in a while like really excited to see some of these metro games and uh you know it seems like they have kind of a lot of teams that are starting to, uh, you know, really maybe threaten the caps a little bit. So, you know, I don't know what your kind of thoughts are about the rest of the Metro and everything like that, but it seems like it's going to be kind of an exciting division for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think Columbus is going to fall off a lot, right? Um, And everybody else I I don't have the best read on. Um, I mean, I I still, even even with the addition of Panarin, I I don't think the Rangers are quite there yet. Um, The Islanders, I I still don't believe what they did last year was real um, at all. So, you know, they they were completely, I mean, Trotz is going to up your save percentage, but not not enough to justify what they got from both of their goalies last year. Um, And, and, you know, and and everybody else, I mean, I think New Jersey should be a team that's going to be a lot better. Um, I, I look for them to kind of be a team that's going to certainly challenge heavily for a playoff spot. I would expect them to make it, but I, I think the Caps should still be okay. Um, I'm really interested to see what we get out of Pittsburgh. I, I just don't have a great read on what's kind of happening there, uh, especially with all like the kind of internal reports coming out about like uh, Malkin not getting along with Rutherford and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, and then also uh, them we'll, throwing a six-year deal at Chris Tanev, a deal that I still do not understand. <laughs> Well, I mean, sometimes they just – you can get away with a lot when you got the kind of star power that they do. But as, got, as those players get older, Crosby and Malkin specifically, it's going to be real tough for Pittsburgh to continue getting away with these yeah. awful contracts. Yeah, do you see any of the other teams actually uh, threatening the Caps at the top spot? I Because I have one in mind, but I think it's the one that every single analytics person ever has in mind, which is uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. But I, I don't of know, course. is there uh, any any team in particular you kind of keeps you up a little bit at night to challenge the Caps in the division? I mean, I mean, I, like I'm not talking about the. I, I think the Capitals, whether they win the division or not, is going to be a bit of a crapshoot. I, I don't. I don't think the Capitals are, um, you know, heads above any of the other competition anymore. Um, it, it's going to be. I think Carolina is probably a better team on the whole than the Caps right now. Yeah, um, but you know, in terms of an analytics perspective, of course, but shooting talent still kind of a problem for Carolina has been a problem for Carolina for the last four or five years. I mean, you can go look at those numbers and um, they just shoot at a low percentage. It's just, it's just how they play the game. But uh, it, you know, it, it's a talent thing or is it a systems thing? It's hard to tell sometimes, but um, they obviously did well in the playoffs and they're still a very young team. That's going to be uh, probably on the rise. So I, I think, if I had to pick one team, it'd probably be Carolina. Then I think second for me would be New Jersey, and then uh, probably Pittsburgh in terms of the three teams that I think it would give the Caps the most trouble um, in kind of going for that division crown again. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm, I'm I think I'm with you roughly on that. It seems like the Metro. It's going to be interesting because it seems like there's a lot of teams that are going to be kind of at that wild card level, like. 
I don't really see the Devils as a threat to win the division unless Corey Snyder start. I mean, again, that was a team that had it was like seventy something points last year, and so you know they're they're still ways away. And I I love what they did in the offseason. I think everyone did. I'm all for Jack Hughes, but. You know, I, I want to see Corey Snyder could be consistent again. I know that he was good kind of towards the end of last year, but let's let's see him over a full year before I start going too crazy on them. But uh, PK Subban doesn't do it for you? Oh no, I love PK. I think he's great. But again, this was a bad team last year, like a really bad team, and so Taylor know, Hall was hurt most of the year, wasn't he? Yeah, no, no, no the fair, fair. You know, let's. But again, like I don't, I don't trust the goaltending, and you know they. I mean, aside from Subban on the blue line, is there anyone that really does it for you? I mean, how many people on the Capitals blue line really do it for you after John Carlson? Yeah, fair. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, fair point. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I. Uh, but anyways, kind of going transitioning to the final topic. Uh, Twenty minutes in, and uh, we have two more rink wraps that we have to do. Uh, the two big ones. Um, Ryan McClellan and Todd Reardon. So, uh, do you have a do you have preference on which one you'd like to tackle first? No, we can go wherever you want. You're you're steering the ship today. Oh wow! All right, it's a lot of pressure. Um, well, <laughs> let's go. We just talked about um, Reardon a little bit and uh, some of the lines that you're seeing, but so I guess we'll start with that. Um, Reardon, where uh, kind of what was your thought about him throughout the year? I know that he, you know, was kind of the great unknown, and uh, I think there are still a lot of questions to be had about Todd Reardon. But uh, kind of, what are your thoughts on uh, how he did last year? Uh, you know, I, I thought for a first-time head coach at the, you know, it, he did fine. You know, at the first-time head coach at least at the NHL level. Um, not 100 percent sure the rest of the way. He was. Uh, Un, I don't know, uninspiring performance, I guess is the way I'd put it. He he was fine. He um, definitely did some things I thought didn't make any sense. I, I didn't really love the kind of how he rolled lines or, or what he thought about certain players when he would bench certain guys. Or, you know, I would have loved to have seen Burakovsky get a longer look on the right side. Um, you know, that was really his only stretch, like really successful part of the season was when he was on the right, that right side, um, kind of leading into the playoffs and he, he was good in the playoffs as well, but it reared and just, um, kind of a great enigma for me. I mean, he's just, just kind of a blah kind of guy. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I look at it, it, it just does I don't have a lot of strong feelings. I, I definitely don't think that he is kind of a, a trots level coach uh, at this point in time. Um, I, I, that does not necessarily mean that the Capitals made the biggest mistake in the history of hockey or that they should have kept trots. I mean, coaches have, have shelf lives and um, it, it, I don't want to rehash that whole conversation right now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> me neither, but, but just generally speaking, I, I just don't have a lot to say about Todd. Reed. I, I thought he got out coached in the, uh, in the playoffs, which is, you know, a bit, of, a bit of a shame. I, I just didn't think the Caps did a great job adjusting the Carolina's game plan, and um, it, it kind of showed in in how things went. But you know, all, all, all that said, if the Capitals just you know do their job for the final two periods of Game Seven, they're going to the second round to uh, potentially roll on some pretty lackluster 
uh, opponents yeah. that the Carolina went through. So yeah. who, who knows? But uh, I, I give Todd, Todd for me was just, uh, you know, if we get, it looks like we were given letter grades on, on these, on yeah, this I think, I think we did not ask the fans about this. So, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll speculate on what the fans would have said because that's, oh, that's... <laughs> uh, what, what do you think about them? Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't, you know, I mean, I think we mostly agree in terms of the intro. I had a tough time kind of gauging him. I mean, I think I would also say it's tough to just gauge NHL coaches in general. Like, I mean, Barry Trotz, we can clearly say is a very good head coach, right? You know, he, and he has some flaws, you know, he overplays veterans, yada, yada, but he is a very good NHL coach and he consistently is able to suppress shots and look at what happened with the Islanders last year. Yeah, like their goaltending was better than it should be, but also they were one of the worst defensive teams before he got there in terms of, you know, shooting and like giving up just tons of shots right down the middle. He comes in and they are instantly better. Just instantly their system looked better. They looked more in control and yeah, he took a roster that was not a good roster and really kind of navigated it way further than any one of us could have thought. So Barry Trotz, good head coach. Todd Reardon, I think we don't really know. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, there were certain things that we could definitely pick on, you know, that he, you know, I'm going to say this again because I'd love Dimitri Askin, but he didn't play him. And I think he probably could have. I think that he never really got a good gauge on what the defensive pairs should be after, after Kempney, but... To, hit, to be fair to him, I didn't really know what I would have done in that situation either. So, you know, I don't I don't know if there's a great answer there at all. Um, you know, I think that he, tactics-wise, it's tough because, you know, he knows more about hockey in his left pinky finger than I ever will. So there's that. <laughs> but, you know, if I wanted, I just got so sick of seeing the slingshot again. And I don't know who to blame that on, so I'm going to blame it a little on Reardon and... You know, also the fact that the power play and penalty kill really did kind of struggle throughout the year, you know, that that might have been more of a coaching thing than anything. So that was a long way of saying that I don't really know. And I do think that next year we're going to kind of have a better gauge on it, because I think that as much as we want to say that he was kind of bland, we didn't really notice. Last year was also a very difficult situation to come into as a first time head coach. You know, they they had just won the Stanley Cup. There was a lot of pressure to kind of you know, not change things too much, I would imagine, and fair, right? They won the Stanley Cup, so of course he wasn't going to change too much. But, you know, at the same time, I think that you have to balance that with the fact that, you know, he did need at some point to be able to kind of implement his will on the team, and there wasn't really a ton of evidence that that happened. So I'm going to be curious next year, you know, now they're coming off a first-round exit, he probably has a little bit more leeway to make the changes that he sees fit. And so I think this year is going to be really important to see kind of the kind of head coach that Todd Reardon is. I don't know, kind of, you know, what, you know, are are you kind of looking towards next year as well? Or are you just going to kind of be perpetually blah about Todd Reardon? Uh, You know, I I don't really know. I mean, I guess the the one thing is, is just, you know, we, we, the uh, common like kind of criticism I had for Trotz, where it was, yeah, look at what the team's doing, but look at the talent on that team. It's kind of kind of gets into the kind of how you assess McClellan versus how you assess the coach, right? Sure. I mean, the, the team that they have is a top-tier team, so the expectations of that team are very high. Um, and when you have, you know, it, Reardon kind of, in my mind, the team kind of underperformed expectations. Um, you know, do I think that... I, I don't know enough about how he's coaching. That's why for me it's a big 
like kind of blah. Yeah, but mark. yeah, but he, um, you know, the, 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 as a as a whole, the team in my mind underperformed during the regular season, especially kind of up into until the trade deadline, and um, some of that has to go on Todd. I mean, it, I'm sure there's a cup hangover and all that stuff as well, but it's the coach's job to kind of prepare the players and make it so that stuff doesn't happen. And, you know, he didn't get it done in my opinion in his first year. So yeah. uh, definitely we'll be looking to see more consistent play early in the year. It, as we just kind of went over, it's not going to be a cakewalk in the metropolitan. No, no, no. Um, all right. So give him a letter grade. Cause I guess that's what we did. So uh, I'm going to see. Yeah. All right. Fair. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, they won the division, so I guess that's, that's something, but, uh, yeah, no, it's hard for me to do differ much more with that. I guess I'll give him a C plus because yeah, I mean, yeah, division. maybe you give him a B minus. I mean, he met expectations. Yeah, I don't know what what you want to give to that. I mean, yeah, that's why. Well, I don't so know. He, Are going to be he, these millennials with this grade inflation? So maybe he, he should he, just he, get a he, C. <laughs> he would get a he would get a five in a rink grab. Yeah, there you go. Maybe All a right. four. So All right, like yeah. So if we're not going to participate in grade inflation, then uh, yeah, I guess I got to give him a C. Yeah, I mean, we we because that's really kind of the. If we're using that expectation scale, that's that, that's where he'd be for me. All right. Okay. So I think we both are uh, a C for Todd Reardon and uh, possibly also a uh, to be determined for next year. Um, so Brian McClellan, um, someone that I have a lot more positive feelings about, um, and I suspect you do too. Uh, so kind of what are your thoughts initially on uh, kind of what Brian McClellan was able to do and, uh, you know, your thoughts of him as a GM? Yeah, I still think uh, Brian McClellan is one of the best general managers in the league. He has been a um, really, really just um, a guy constantly making positive tweaks for the team. Um, I'm trying to think of like more like some negative things to say, and I, it's hard to come up with them. He's continually continually is able to kind of weasel his way in and out of cap issues. Uh, he did that again this summer by by offloading Burakovsky. He's um, did it the year before with the Orpic, Orpic trade um, with Grubauer. And he's just shown a mastery of the salary cap and an ability to field a competitive team um, throughout the entirety of a season. Um, the Capitals got really lucky to have him, and he, especially given that he was a guy that uh, was part of that old regime with GMGM. And it's, um, you know, there was kind of a, a negative feeling associated with, with, with choosing a guy uh, internally. Um, but they went with it, and it's played out so well for the franchise. And um, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to come up with a lot of negative stuff in my, for me to say about McClellan. Oh, agreed. And I think you look at it, and there always seems to be kind of a coherent theme behind what he's trying to do each mm-hmm. offseason. You always you can you can look at the moves and say, okay, this is what he thought the Capitals needed to do better. And so I I, I wrote about this for this offseason that. You know, he and a lot of people saw the Caps' defensive issues and said, all right, we're going to make some changes there. And that was something all of the moves had to do with getting guys who were better than average at suppressing shots to the point where the Capitals' Twitter like account was basically bragging about it. Uh, so that is great. And I think that there's an internal coherence to what he does that a lot of other NHL GMs just don't have. And, you know, you look at a—I'll um, give an example of a bad GM, Jim Benning a commonly terrible GM uh, or commonly seen as a terrible GM of the Vancouver Canucks. And you kind of look at some of the moves and you're like, well, I don't really know what he's trying to do. I don't really know that, 
you know, is this a team that's going to win now and that needs to trade for JT Miller and sign Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel? Or is this a team that really wants to win in the future? And, you know, they're continuing to get, you know, excellent draft picks and do that. And it's, I think there's a less less of a concern about that, about, about McClellan. Now, some of that is a little easier. The Capitals are very clearly built to win right now. And a lot of his moves are made with that in mind. But, you know, I think that he is smart enough to recognize that and realize that now is the chance to maximize that window. And, you know, he just continues to make smart moves. He, both in terms of the trades that he's made, and I really like the Gudis for Niskanen trade as much as, you know, my emotions kind of waver in that a little bit. But I, you know, on, on a hockey sense, that move makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you look at the panic signing, that makes a lot of sense. Hathaway, you know, makes some sense. And so you look at it, and a lot of these moves really made sense. Really the only one that we could quibble with is maybe the Hagelin signing. But, you know, it's hard for me to get yeah. too much of a rise about that one, you know. And so, you know, I look at it, and there's just a high internal coherence to what he's doing that is, you know, really strong. And so, yeah, and also he is the GM that won the that made, made the roster so that the Capitals could win the Stanley Cup. And so... There's, uh, again, going to be a little bias there, but I just, yeah, I think he's consistently shown he's a very smart, savvy, and consistent GM. And uh, I say that, and then in a couple of weeks, he could sign Holtby for way too much money. Then I'm starting to question this a little bit, which is the life of a GM. But, you know, I think that for right now, as we're standing here, this makes, this is a smart GM that seems to always have a good idea of what he wants to do and when. Yeah, I mean, he does a great job kind of calling his shots. I mean, he says he needs a he says he needs you know uh, you know really, really any, any anything i'm trying to think of each time he says he needs uh defensive depth help he trades for kempney he trades for um you know it, it's just all of the, his trades always fit a theme whenever he wants something the Haglin trade on the penalty kill to help improve the penalty kill this is just he calls his shots and it tends to work out pretty well for him that's what makes him such a great general manager and why uh we're, we're lucky to kind of have him and i you know, for his performance, I mean, I, I got to give him a uh, another solid kind of A season. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm right between an A minus and an A, you know, and so uh, we'll differ a little. I'll give him an A minus because I I'm not totally in love with the Haglin signing, but a, yeah. you know what, like fine, like that's. <laughs> but again, this is a very very good GM, and the Capitals are very lucky to have him, and so you know, it's uh, we're I think we're spoiled because I, you know, you look at kind of the average NHL move, you know, and when we're on Twitter, it breaks and we're like, ah, this doesn't make a ton of sense. But it seems like whenever the Capitals make, you know, make a move, it's always like, oh, that seems smart. You know, it makes like signing panic for the salary that they did made sense, you know? And I think that typically the worst that McClellan does is that he makes a deal that is just average, you know, and there's a lot of NHL GMs that that, you know, that's uh, like Kyle Dubas, they commonly seen as an excellent GM, but you know, a lot of the salary, you know, so I mean, sometimes you just have to give the contract that you can. And so, you know, I think that when, when that's the worst case scenario for a a typical cap signing, you're in a really strong place. So I guess I'm talking myself into giving him an A and I think that's going to be what I do. So. Yeah. I mean, you got me sold, Greg. All right. All right. Well, um, I think, uh, I think we're, I think we're good today. Any, uh, any last thoughts? 
No, no. Take us home. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you for listening to this uh, episode of Japers Rink Radio. If you could uh, like, uh, subscribe on uh, iTunes, follow the Twitter and Facebook account, and uh, you know, keep uh, keep tabs for uh, when we post this uh, this podcast on uh, Japers Rink. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, see you next time.